Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today and take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all, this is episode 111 of Reclaiming the Faith, and today I'm going to compare Project MKUltra to a version of Reformed theology called compatibilism. And if you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a positive rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Quickly, I want to give y'all updates on both my book, Faithful Witness, and the five-song EP I'm doing called Genesis. Both should be out in October. For the EP, I'm looking at October 1st. And uh, for the book, I can't give you an exact date on that, but it will be coming in October, God willing. So if you would, please be in prayer for both of those projects. I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, so please go check out our two Omega Frequency YouTube channels, Omega Frequency Live and Omega Frequency, where you can find all of our content that we put out weekly. And finally, if you feel led to support this ministry, you can become uh, one of my patrons by visiting my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Baker. And for $5 or more a month, you'll get access to all of the previous videos that I've done and two monthly videos, one being a tutorial on how to play one of my original songs and also a breakdown of either an early Christian or an early Christian document. So please go check that out if you feel led. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get into episode 111. In 1975, Project MKUltra was first brought to public attention by the Church Committee of the U.S. Congress to investigate CIA activities within the United States. MKUltra is sometimes referred to as the Central Intelligence Agency's Mind Control Program, was the code name given to an illegal program of extremists on human subjects designed and undertaken by the CIA. In 1977, a Freedom of Information Act request uncovered a cache of 20,000 documents relating to Project MKUltra, which led to Senate hearings later that same year. It was discovered that, beginning in 1949, as the Cold War was heating up, the CIA under Alan Dulles launched a project called Bluebird, later called Artichoke, and then Project MKUltra, a series of experiments on unwitting people to see if their minds could be manipulated by drugs, torture, or hypnosis. Colleges, hospitals, prisons, and pharmaceutical companies participated in the project. Records revealed in the 1970s showed, with the CIA hoping to be able to manipulate foreign leaders and other important figures, or program others to commit acts of espionage. Now, though the program was officially halted in 1973, many investigators believe the government has continued its mind control programs by simply renaming them, as it did in the beginning, in order to avoid scrutiny. 
Regardless, the original MKUltra program used numerous methodologies to manipulate people's mental states and alter brain functions, including surreptitious administration of drugs, especially LSD, and other chemicals, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal and sexual abuse, as well as various forms of torture. The scope of Project MKUltra was broad, with research undertaken at 80 institutions, including 44 colleges and universities, like I said, as well as hospitals, prisons, and pharmaceutical companies. The U.S. Supreme Court later noted that MKUltra was concerned with, quote, the research and development of chemical, biological, and radiological materials capable of employment in clandestine operations to control human behavior, unquote. On June 5th, 1968, in the prime of the CIA's MKUltra program, Sirhan Sirhan was arrested for murdering Robert Kennedy. However, in 2018, the Washington Post wrote a lengthy article detailing numerous strange details about Sirhan that day and in the years following. Quote, Even as Sirhan Sirhan was being captured, seconds after the shooting of Senator Robert F. Kennedy in Los Angeles, he behaved oddly. A group of men had tackled him, held him down, and tried to wrestle the gun out of his hands. But in the middle of a hurricane of sound and feeling, wrote one of those men's author George Plimpton, Sirhan seemed peaceful. Plimpton was struck by Sirhan's dark brown and enormously peaceful eyes. A Los Angeles police officer who had rushed in recalled, he had a blank, glassed-over look on his face, like he was not in complete control of his mind. At the same time, the short, slim Sirhan, 5 feet 5 inches tall, about 120 pounds, exerted superhuman strength as one man held his wrist to a steam table in the Ambassador Hotel pantry, firing off five or six more shots even as he was held around the neck, body, and legs by other men, witnesses said. It took a half dozen men to wrench the 22 caliber pistol out of Sirhan's grip, grip. At the police station, Sirhan was preternaturally calm, officers later said. I was impressed by Sirhan's composure and relaxation, Sergeant William Jordan wrote in a report later that morning. He appeared less upset to me than individuals arrested for a traffic violation. Unquote. The article continues. In 2011, a Harvard Medical School professor named Daniel P. Brown spent 60 hours examining Sirhan Sirhan. Brown has a vast amount of expertise in forensic psychiatry and hypnosis. In an affidavit filed with Sirhan's last appeal, Brown stated, quote, Mr. Sirhan did not act under his own volition and knowledge at the time of the assassination and is not responsible for actions coerced and or carried out by others, unquote. He was, Brown said, a true, quote, Manchurian candidate, unquote hypno-programmed into carrying out a violent political act 
without knowing it. That's the end of the article. You know, it's true that Sirhan admitted to killing Kennedy, even though he has no recollection of the event. Hypothetically, though, if Sirhan was programmed by the U.S. government to murder RFK, who should be held responsible? Should it be Sirhan alone, or should his programmers also serve life sentences behind bars? I bring this up because it serves as a decent example of the Calvinistic doctrine known as compatibilism. From the Reformed Theology website monergism.com, compatibilism is defined as the belief that God's predetermination and meticulous providence is compatible with voluntary choice. In light of Scripture, Human choices are believed to be exercised voluntarily, but the desires and circumstances that bring about these choices occur through divine determinism, unquote. So basically, according to compatibilism, God has determined your desires and determined that you will act according to the desires which he has given you. However, when you're acting according to your desires— you are exercising free will because you're doing the thing that you want to do. Thus, compatibilists say that God is not responsible for your sinful actions because you are doing exactly what you want to do. However, remember, according to compatibilism, God has determined your desires. He has, before the foundation of the world, determined what you want. So, Are you actually free? Reformed theologian R.C. Sproul attempted to defend compatibilism by using Jonathan Edwards' work, Freedom of the Will. Sproul wrote, quote, Edwards declares that free moral agents always act according to the strongest inclination they have at the moment of choice. To say it another way, we always choose according to our inclinations and we always choose according to our strongest inclination at a given moment. Let me put it in simple terms. Anytime you sin, this action indicates that, at the moment of your sin, your desire to commit the sin is greater than your desire to obey Christ. If your desire to obey Christ were greater than your desire to commit the sin, you would not sin. But at the moment of choice— We always follow our strongest inclination, our strongest disposition, our strongest desires. There is a reason for every choice that we make. We always act according to our strongest inclination at the moment. I would like to make this statement. In my opinion, every choice that we make is free and every choice that we make is determined. Again, Every choice that we make is free, and every choice that we make is determined. Unquote. Interestingly, though Sproul has been quoting Jonathan Edwards's work, Freedom of the Will, Edwards says some different things about freedom of the will and God's sovereignty on pages 139 and 140 of that document. There, Edwards writes, quote, It follows infallibly that God orders all events, including the volitions of moral agents, 
by such a divisive procedure that the events are infallibly connected with what he does. God's certain foreknowledge presupposes an absolute decree, unquote. So, when pressed, these Reformed scholars admit that God only has foreknowledge of all things because he decreed all things before the foundation of the world, not only your desires, but also your actions. John Calvin himself taught in his Institutes of Christian Religion, Book 1, Chapter 16, Paragraph 3, quote, Creatures are so governed by the secret counsel of God that nothing happens but what he has knowingly and willingly decreed, unquote. Again, Calvin, in the Institutes of Christian Religion, Book 1, Chapter 17, Paragraph 5, quote, Thieves and murderers and other evildoers are instruments of divine providence, being employed by the Lord himself to execute judgments which he has resolved to inflict, unquote. Again, Institutes of Christian Religion, Book 3, Chapter 23, Paragraph 6, quote, Individuals are born who are doomed from the womb to certain death and are to glorify him by their destruction, unquote. Again, in the same chapter and paragraph, quote, It is vain to debate about prescience, which it is clear that all events take place by his sovereign appointment, unquote. Same paragraph, same chapter, John Calvin, quote, But since he foresees future events only by reason of the fact that he decreed that they take place, they vainly raise a quarrel over foreknowledge when it is clear that all things take place rather by his determination and bidding, unquote. Last quote from Calvin, going back to book one, chapter 16, paragraph eight from Institutes of Christian Religion, quote, we hold that God is the disposer and ruler of all things, that from the remotest eternity, according to his own wisdom, he decreed what he was to do, and now by his power executes what he has decreed. Hence, we maintain that by his providence, not heaven and earth and inanimate creatures only, but also the counsels and wills of men are so governed as to move exactly in the course which he has destined, unquote. So, if all our choices were chosen for us before we were born, who is responsible for our choices? And even if God had only chosen our desires, how does that square with the scriptures that speak about where our evil desires come from? James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, quote, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. 
unquote. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, quote, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever, unquote. And let's talk a little bit about God's will. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, Jesus said, quote, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Unquote. Why would Jesus be praying for us to do his will on earth if his will was already being done always because all things were already determined by him before the foundation of the world? Let's look at Luke chapter 7, verses 28 through 30. Again, Jesus says, quote, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, unquote. And Luke continues, When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. It's really interesting when we think about God's providence and God's sovereignty, if his purpose is always going to be accomplished since he purposed all things before the foundation of the world, like John Calvin said, then how could anyone reject God's purpose for themselves? Wouldn't it be the case that by rejecting Jesus, they're fulfilling God's purpose for themselves? So if they're rejecting God's purpose for themselves in rejecting Jesus Wouldn't rejecting God's purpose be receiving Jesus and being baptized by John? It seems weird when you think about Calvin's views in light of Scripture. Let's talk about God's sovereignty for a minute. A very easy understanding and definition of the word sovereignty is king or ruler. And so God, being the king of kings, would be the ultimate king and the ultimate ruler of all things. An analogy that I've used in the past, like when I was in youth ministry, to explain sovereignty is the game of dodgeball. In dodgeball, the ultimate sovereign ruler is the referee. He's fully in charge of the game. He can stop start or pause the game, he can remove and reinstate players. And in the summer day camp version that I used to play, the referee can even insert himself into the game as a player ref. However, even though the ref is the ultimate ruler, he doesn't control the player's thoughts and actions. They have the free will to think and act as they please. They can stand in corners cowering, or they can repeatedly attempt to take members of the opposite team's head off. 
All of these actions have consequences, whether good or bad. Our God is absolutely sovereign and the ultimate ruler of all. He created all things and reigns over all things. Nothing happens that he is not aware of, that he does not allow, or that he will not use to accomplish his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God is not a wicked slave master who toys with his slaves by offering them liberation while knowing they are incapable of achieving it. He does not delight in punishing them when they fail with extreme tortures that would put our world's cruelest sadists to shame. God is love, and love can only thrive where there is the opportunity for it to be either chosen or rejected. Love requires actual free will. Around the year 160, Justin Martyr wrote in his first apology, chapter 43, quote, But lest some suppose from what has been said by us that we say that whatever happens, happens by a fatal necessity because it is foretold as known beforehand, this too we explain. We have learned from the prophets, and we hold it to be true that punishments, chastisements, and good rewards are rendered according to the merit of each man's actions. Since, if it be not so, but all things happen by fate, Neither is anything at all in our own power. For if it be fated that this man be good and this other evil, neither is the former meritorious nor the latter to be blamed. And again, unless the human race have the power of avoiding evil and choosing good by free choice, they are not accountable for their actions of whatever kind they be but that it is by free choice that they both walk uprightly and stumble, we thus demonstrate. We see the same man making a transition to opposite things. Now, if it had been fated that he were to be either good or bad, he could never have been capable of both the opposites, nor of so many transitions. But not even would some be good and others bad, since we thus make fate the cause of evil and exhibit her as acting in opposition to herself. Or that which has been already stated would seem to be true, that neither virtue nor vice is anything, but that things are only reckoned good or evil by opinion, which, as the true word shows, is the greatest impiety and wickedness. But this we assert is inevitable fate that they who choose the good have worthy rewards, and they who choose the opposite have their merited awards. For not like other things, as trees and quadrupeds, which cannot act by choice, did God make man, for neither would he be worthy of reward or praise did he not of himself choose the good, but were created for this end. Nor, if he were evil, would he be worthy of punishment, not being evil of himself, but being able to be nothing else than what he was made. Unquote. So according to the early Christians, God is not like the evil scientists who helped develop MKUltra. God is good. God is love. God does not desire the destruction of evildoers. 
God is patient with all of us, not desiring that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from their way and live. Though none of us could ever earn our salvation, God has given all of us provision to receive his salvation. He has given all of us the ability to humble ourselves and say that we cannot save ourselves. He has given us the ability to humble ourselves and fall on Jesus and plead for his mercy, plead for his forgiveness, and to ask him to take over our lives. Jesus died for all people and desires that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God bless you. Her. 